When you invest in the stock market, you can either pay exorbitant fees to brokers which will lessen your returns, or you could go it alone and risk getting it wrong. SelfWealth is a dynamic network of like-minded investors with a proven track record, allowing people to trade more than just shares. You also trade that all-important knowledge. SelfWealth.com.au, Australia's only fixed-fee trading solution. Just $9.50 per trade, regardless of trade size. Download the SelfWealth trading app from Google Play or the App Store today. He's the big fast bowler from Wales that now calls Australia home, but will travel anywhere for a good sporting event. And he takes us around the world every Monday looking at sports, common and uncommon. How are you, Beefy? Oh, great to be here, Fonny. Good Monday. Hey, didn't we put the cat amongst the pigeons? I had people chasing me all week through 365 days of sport about our champion team versus team of champions discussion last yeah, week. Yep. Oh, my word. Couldn't get a word in edgeways after time where people... No, no, no. The champion team would definitely win. And yeah, or would the team of champions win? It's, it was a, an amazing discussion, but all week it rumbled on and covering sports such as cricket, football, and AFL and rugby league, rugby union, and all off the back of the British, Lion, British and Irish Lions against the All Blacks. We'll be chatting very shortly with Luke Smith, member of the Australian volleyball team. And They've completed a very successful couple of weeks down under. Yes. That puts them amongst the very best nations in the world. And volleyball is a sport not um, well known here in Australia. When I say not well known, it's certainly well known at school level and university yeah. level. Plenty of people play volleyball. It's a great sport. Our national team has really covered itself in glory. And to be elevated into the top bracket yeah. of eight or so teams is an enormous achievement because it's almost a national sport in many countries oh, of South America and Europe. And uh, we had, uh, Luke was on actually a couple of weeks ago, um, I think BP was subbing in for you one night, uh, Fanny, yep. and um, we talked to Luke. And, I mean, the one interesting thing is it's a, volleyball is a vital part of the college system in the States. So there are lots of players from Australia going out to the States to get their free college education on the back of scholarships and things. So there is a pathway and now the Aussies, or the Volley Roos, uh, are back in the uh, top table, and they're off to the World Championships later this year, uh, off the back of a win on the weekend. So, um, yeah, they, it's a, a one way of becoming a, prof- a pseudo-professional by, the, by way of college system, but um, any time that you can make a career out of whatever sporting passion you, you have, then you've got to go for it. And if... Uh, if Australians are choosing to uh, play volleyball, and don't forget the Australian have a huge European heritage where uh, volleyball, like you say, Fanny, in, in places like Poland and uh, Hungary, especially in Croatia and uh, Serbia, where volleyball is, is their number one sport. Let's check in with a member, a key member of our team, of the Australian volleyball team, the Ollie Roos, who by virtue of a win in Canberra or a tournament win in Canberra, I think culminated by beating Chinese Taipei. Now, this was covered on Fox Sports. It so was. Plenty was, of people would have seen it. I was amazed for the first time after we talked to Luke a couple of weeks ago. Then all of a sudden, in the in the program guide, comes up live, live volleyball from Canberra. So world championship qualifier, kind of the, 
the Asian Zone World Championship qualifier, and uh, Australia basically had to beat Chinese Taipei to qualify for their six successive World Championships. And they did so, and a, I imagine ecstatic member of the team and key member of the team, Luke Smith, joins us again tonight. Good evening, Luke. Hey, guys. How are you going? Hey, first of all, congratulations, and it's an enormous... I, I, really one of our underrated sporting stories and sadly not covered well enough by mainstream media that, again, the Ollie Roos batting well above their well above their, their standing. Yeah. Sorry, volleyball. Uh, I might have said border polo. Volley Roos, yeah. Yeah, the Volley Roos yeah. um, have once again elevated themselves into the World Championships and have lifted themselves into the World Group for the competition volleyball. Yeah, they do so, and you guys do so. I imagine um, with out a heck of a lot of financial backing. Tell us a little bit about the journey to get back into the top bracket. Um, yeah, well, yeah, you nailed it on the head. We're definitely the the underdogs um, historically. We, we've uh, we've managed as a as a sport, and especially the men's team, just to keep our head just above water, especially when it comes to things like funding and everything like that. Um, with how sports are these days, we've managed to to scrape by, which is getting results despite our low ranking, um, like that has been growing over the years. Um, yeah, to ensure our programs and our, our sport continues. So it's been it's been a big long journey, and uh, yeah. So myself as a as a 27 year old, you know, I'm probably reaping some of the benefits of the generation before me that performed post Sydney that ensured that like our, our volleyball program could continue its funding up until Athens and the Beijing era. Um, but yeah, then I was lucky to be part of the, the London um, qualification um, cycle um, where we were a young bunch of lads and we punched absolutely above our weight to get us to London. And that probably ensured the next six to eight, uh, sorry, the next four to, to, to eight years um, for the next generation coming through, so yeah, it's it's, it's been a unique, absolutely unique story for the the Volley Roos in particular because against all odds, we've managed to to keep our head above water and and strive and actually survive quite well. Um, you know, despite the the recent the, the, in the past decade, a lot of the challenges that sports face these days um, with keep keeping the funding going. Now, Luke, you got left on Sunday with a must-win game against Chinese Taipei, and basically yeah. it was winner-takes-all to get through to the World Championships. Um, yeah. You've kind of, I'm going to say snuck by. I mean, you won three sets to love, but um, <laughs> it was 25-23, 25-23, 25-23. Yeah. So it was a closely fought game, and nobody really got a run on. Uh, like, yeah. there was never more than three or four points in it, you know, as the biggest margin. Yeah. So yeah, like it, it was it was a hell of a game because there was a lot of pressure involved. It was the last chance for both teams um to get the final spot to, to qualify. Um so yeah, obviously I think we probably were favorites going into this particular match having the home crowd. We had some good support from Canberra. Um as well as you know Chinese Taipei that they're not um a powerhouse in Asia zone. However, they do have a really good generation of, of players that are going through right now. So they're, they're always a dangerous team, although we probably were the, the, the favourites for this particular match. 
Yeah, but with the stakes and both teams like fighting for their life and their survival, it was it was a battle. It was a tussle. It was by no means an easy game for Australia. Uh, even if you see the the first score of three sets to zero, every set was hard fought, and there were even times where it was pretty impressive and and proud to be part of the Australian team because we had our heads down. I think uh, in a couple of sets we were down by a couple of points after 20, which is the real danger and business end of the of the sets when the sets go to 25. Um, and yeah, we were able to come up with some pretty clutch plays and, and um, win the important points. So yeah, it was by no means an easy win. It was a tug of war, but for some uh, reason, the team was able to come together and, and just through, well, not through reason, but through the strength of our team. In the important times, we were able to win those points at the end of the sets that ensured our victory. Luke, what is the pathway to the Australian team, to the Volley Roos? It's, it's always been a popular sport amongst um, schools at, at school level and at university level, but what is the pathway into the Australian team? Ah, yeah. yeah, a lot of it's, it's an interesting question because there's a lot of different pathways that that many other uh, athletes are taking. So there's quite a contrast within the team. But um, basically speaking, and this is the, the case for myself, um, the pathway originates from the the school. Um, normally, the school age around then you're in, involved with either a school team or a club team in, in your local suburbs and. Then, it, then from, from local suburb club teams, it becomes state representation up, up in your junior level. So you have, then you start attending the, the national junior level, and of course, like the national schools cup, which is a, a huge tournament in uh, Australia. Um, and then from there, I guess things progress where there's an opportunity if, if you're at the right level to um, these days you, you you go to AIS on your own accord. Whereas previously, when I came through we would be uh, offered scholarships if we were good enough and had the right, had the right physical attributes. So we, at the age of 16 to 18, for my generation, um, we, would, we would get scholarships and live in Canberra and be training full-time, living away from home. And once we were at the right level and, and age, then we would start our career um, overseas, normally in the Euro League, and start to build our way through there. So that was the, the progression for uh, my generation. But now what's happening is the younger generation coming through, the same grassroots systems are in place, so they get in through school and then state representation at junior level. Um, and then it, it's changed a little bit because um, yeah, this is how the sport has, has gone recently, where now players, if they want to pursue volleyball and presuming they're good enough, they, they can kind of like pay their way to train in uh, Canberra. So some top athletes might get helped along the way, um, but now it's more of a, um, you know, the, the young blokes that really want to have a crack at this volleyball career um, are invited to, to, to train and, and, and uh, not have a scholarship, but find their own way in a, train, in a full-time so training that, that's, environment in Canberra. That's not easy. I mean, it's, it falls back onto the... Individual and Luke, I, I yeah, it, it sort of seems that a bit of the tail wagging the dog, but much profile has been given to an an offshoot of volleyball, a, a 
creation that became popular after the Sydney Olympics, and mm. that, of course, is beach volleyball. And there's yeah. money in beach volleyball, apparently, because there's a world circuit, and they draw their players from the world of volleyball. Have the Volley Roos lost players to beach volleyball, or is it something that can be done alongside, like, say, 2020 cricket for a test cricketer? Yeah, it's um, yeah. The, the sports are different, but they're, they're like they're different in, in their own. Like the fundamentals are the same. So yeah, it is. You can transition between the two. So it's, it's kind of like, uh, like that cricket example you provided. But with beach and indoor, they used to be quite a, a bit of a rivalry because there weren't so such a huge pool of athletes that wanted to play and pursue volleyball. Um, there was a big rivalry between the two programs where generally what happened was most of the blokes would go to indoor because there was more of a career pathway for them, you know, because beach volleyball is uh, um, a, a very rewarding um, sport, but the, the income you earn is, is through your prize money and sponsorship, whereas professionally in indoor, the leagues and the, the potential reward and career that you can make for yourself um, it was was a lot more rewarding than the beach. So a lot of the young athletes, Australian athletes, chose indoor, such as myself and, and many others that are actually in the Australian indoor team right now. But what has happened in probably within the last five years is that these two programs have united and have worked together. And these days, athletes can go back and forth if they want. But what we're seeing now is that the fact that indoor and beach are coming together and pooling and just growing the, the pool of volleyball athletes in Australia, it means that each program is getting funneled through more athletes than, than ever before. So it, it will develop it in the, in the top level as a result of that. Luke, is there a, like a talent identification program saying if there, if there is people playing either, oh, either, either or, beach or indoor, that coaches or people would say, I think you're a bit more suited to the beach rather than indoor or vice versa? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there is. Absolutely. There, there's a lot of talent identification. So at the, the junior level, uh, state events and the schools cup, that's when you'll have scouts of representing indoor or representing beach, and, and these guys will keep keep up to date with which are the potential athletes and um, like which guys are physical and, and, yeah, future prospects for the Australian teams, both beach and indoor. Um <clears throat> So, yeah, I got a, got, a, got a little bit sidetracked. That's all right. No, no, no. A little, a little baby here, but... Yeah, is, um, is that the junior development squad? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have a future future volleyball player here. <laughs> my, little, my little girl here. Um, yeah, so getting back to your question, there is the national talent identification process, which most sports have. Um <clears throat> These days, though, I've been away from the country, so I'm not sure exactly how the systems are in place. But getting them young is best because you can really kind of program them the right way to to the sport with with good coaching at a young age. Now, the qualification into the World Championships pits yeah. Australia, the Volley Roos, against some of the real powerhouses in world volleyball. Who are those teams and uh, who do you mark as probably the favourite ahead of the World Champs? Oh, uh, it's a really fierce competition these days um, at, at the top end. So we're close to the top end. We, we're very competitive 
we probably haven't consolidated a consistently uh, high placing in, in these big world events. So that's just something that that'll be our goal for next season. Um, so the teams that were that are leading the way are teams. A lot of European teams are leading the way these days. So like your France, your Poland, your Italy, because they'll be hosting. They'll definitely have a big boost with some really top players. But also your uh, Americans are, are always good. Canada have emerged as a really strong powerhouse these days, as well as your South Americans, so Brazil and Argentina. So right now we don't know the, the draw as of yet. Uh, that'll be announced at a later date of how the World Championship um, tournament layout will look like. But, um, yeah, like our goal will be to make it to the next round, which is what we were able to do in 2014, which was a first for Australia. Um, so if we can get out of our pool, then we'll probably match up against one of these big like European or world powerhouses, and, and that'll be the next challenge facing Australia. Now, the World, the world Championship's actually in September 2018, so there's a bit of time between now and then. What is the What are the milestones between now and then? Oh, well, to be honest, we're kind of taking it one week at a time, um, but just because it's been a quite a, a heavy schedule for us uh, Australian athletes here with, with the Australian team. Um, so for, for, for speaking for myself, uh, right now what's left, what's ahead of, of me being a, a national uh, a, a player in the national team right now is in about five days from now we'll head to Indonesia where we have the Asian Championships in Surabaya. So this is the next goal. You know, we're basically taking it one month at a time, and because we have we've had about three tournaments, international tournaments this year. Um, so it was great to, to get get through World League with a bronze medal. Then we qualified for World Championships, and now the next goal will be to medal at the Asian Championships. Um, and after that, that'll be the end of the Australian season uh, and national team season, and players will disperse to their individual professional clubs. Well, where they will be playing high-level volleyball around the world, mostly Europe these days. Um, and so after that eight-month professional gig, we'll all get back together next year, earlier next year, and begin our preparation for the national season ahead with, of course, the World Championships as the, the big pinnacle um, of competition for the, year, for the year ahead. Well, let's hope that the volleyers get the public attention that they deserve. It's a great achievement to be propelled back into that top stage, top level of world volleyball. And as you said, we're mighty competitive and hopefully hardened by these qualifications, take yeah. a few big scalps along the way. We thank you so much for joining us, Luke. Thanks a lot for the time, guys. And yeah, good, good chatting and, and uh, yeah, come on the Volley Roos. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> Thanks, Luke, Luke Smith, key member of the Volley Roos, and uh, it's a great sport, enormously skilled, whether they are uh, the little boat that goes diving around the back of the court. Yeah, well, Luke's, uh, Luke's. I think we worked out, Luke was six foot eight, six foot nine. He's one of the, uh, your, key, your key blockers as well, yeah, yeah. Uh, right at the net in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the trenches up front there. Yeah, that is, uh, gee, need a bit of courage to go up and uh, <laughs> yeah. put your hands in front of your face yeah, as somebody smashes a volleyball at you. We're going to take a break, come back and travel around of the Sporting Globe, there's darts, tennis, hockey, you've heard of them. Do you know much about snail racing and tin bath racing? Well, you will. Welcome back. Travelling around the Sporting Globe with Kieran Beefy Blake and 
Uh, Beefy, let's go to the United States, I think it is, Las Vegas, for the darts. Yeah, it was the US Darts Masters on the weekend. and uh, I see there was a car for the winner as well as prize money. Yes, the uh, Mustang, I think. Big, yes. Big Mustang up on stage. I don't know uh, how uh, Michael Van Gerwen's going to get that back to uh, the Netherlands. Drives on the right side of the road. He won't have to get it converted. If he lived in the UK, it'd be a bit different. But uh, so fair he, to say, he won again. He did. He won again. Uh, Daryl Gurney. He beat in the final. The Irishman. Um, but <laughs> unbelievable. He won. Uh, Van Gerwen won eight zip in the first round. Eight one in the second round. Over Gerwen Price. That was eight nil in the semi final. Oh, uh, yes, in the semi final, eight nil over Gerwin Price. And then he 8-6 in the final against Daryl Gurney. So uh, in absolutely red-hot form. Great for Gurney to get through to a final as well. He's uh, shown a little bit of form at this end of the season. Um, he beat Gary Anderson in the semi-final. But he also snuck by Snakebite Peter Wright 8-7 when... Uh, I saw that match. Yes, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It, and uh, yeah, It looked like Snakebite had control. It appeared as though he had control over it. Yep. But Gurney... Just he was down, he was down sort of a break of throw. He yeah. pulled it back and then held 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 to win. It was a good effort. Yeah, no, he did well, and it, well in the semi final as well. He was four one down against Gary Anderson and then knocked over seven in a row to win eight four. So uh, yes, uh, I don't think it was the dream final the U.S. Tarts Masters really needed, but it's good to see a good crowd out there and a couple of the Yanks that made it through their qualifiers actually beat people in the first round. So uh, that's a uh, that's uh, very encouraging for uh, U.S. darts. They haven't really had too many make it on the uh, world stage uh, for quite some time. I mean, John Part, but he was Canadian, of course, not uh, not American. So uh, I can't think. Cliff Lazarenko, I suppose, was uh, the last one to actually make a name for himself. But uh, there you go. But the world match play kicks off this weekend. Um can you believe Phil Taylor is twenty to one to win the tournament? Amazing, twenty to one. When were we ever going to get twenty to one odds on Phil Taylor? But uh, Phil Taylor's actually drawn at Gerwin Price in the first round, and the uh, Simon Whitlock, unbelievably, has drawn Kyle Anderson. All Australian. All Australian first round, and obviously, being uh, Whitlock is sixteenth seed, if he gets through that first round. He will possibly play Michael Van Gerwen in round <laughs> number two. So uh, a bit tricky. Yes, it could be a bit tough. But uh, there you go. That's a uh, bit of a quick dance. Right? Obviously, Michael Van Gerwen won the previous Masters tournament in Shanghai last week as well. So uh, it's a shame that he won't be coming and making the trip down under because of his wife is due to give birth. But uh, yes, he will. Uh, he will be sorely missed, unfortunately. Let's have a look at. A bit of an opportunity here. Yeah. Uh, let's have a look at the Wimbledon results. Yep. We know that uh, Federer defeated Chilich in the final and Muguruza over Venus Williams, but uh, plenty of interesting results in other events. And they are as follows. In the women's doubles, an amazing final, unprecedented in Grand Slam history, Marikova and Vesnina of the Soviet Union, defeated Chan of Chinese Taipei and Nicolescu of Romania. Six love, six love. Yeah. And it's not as if, I mean, obviously the uh, the girls that lost, they um, they were, I think, ninth seeds as well. So they weren't 
I mean, they've got through the final of the Grand Slam. I mean, they're no hackers, but uh, yeah, six love, six love is uh, is pretty embarrassing. I think it only lasted fifty four minutes as well. It was ridiculously quick for a Grand Slam final. But um, four hundred thousand pounds each, the female doubles winners got for fifty four minutes. It's well, not bad, is it? Not bad at all. In the mixed doubles, the thirty six year old Martina Hingis adds another. A Grand Slam yeah. title to her record. She teamed up with the other Murray. Jonathan Murray, yeah, who is, I think, number one ranked doubles player in the world right now as well. Not well, Jamie Murray, is it? Uh, Jamie Murray, you're probably right there. Yeah. I, I think it's I used to go to school with Jonathan Murray, that's why. <laughs> Jamie I haven't Ma- thought of him for a while. Number one ranked uh, mixed doubles combination, defeated Continent of Finland and Heather Watson of Great Britain. Yes. 6-4, six, 6-4. Four, six, four. Uh, in the... Girls singles. Now, an interesting final in the girls singles, and that is, it was an all-American affair, but it's a, a girl called Lou defeated a girl called Lee. Oh. So they're both Asian-Americans. Yes. And they played out the final. The boys singles final was an Argentinian by the name of Geller defeating a Spaniard, a Davidovic Fokina. Sounds a little bit Russian to me. Mm. Now, in the gentlemen's invitation doubles, do you know who won that? Yeah, I did. Hewitt and the Pooh. Hewitt and Philippousis defeated Gimmelstob and Hutchins. And in the ladies' invitation doubles, Cara Black and a 60-year-old by the name of Martina Navratilova defeated uh, Arantxa Sanchez-Vicario and Svar. Svar. Now, Svar, I don't know who Svar is, <laughs> as far as I know. As far as you know. Svar, I've never heard of such a player. It is Salima Svar of Tunisia. Of Tunisia. Oh, yep. there you go. 40 years of age. and I've got to say, if people haven't seen any footage of Kim Kleisters playing, please look it up on YouTube. It's probably the funniest tennis clip you will ever see uh, where Kim, Aussie Kim Kleisters dragged a guy out of the crowd to return one of her serves. And after the recent rulings about wearing all white, Kim Kleister's decided to dress him up in a skirt and polo shirt that were about eight sizes too small for him. And she was rolling around the floor laughing um, hysterically. And it's very, very funny. They actually played a bit with him and uh, they were taking photos and all sorts. So if the, I'm not sure about how well that's gone down with the... Uh, with the Wimbledon management, with the all-white clothing uh, ruling. But, uh, yes, please look it up. It is You won't be disappointed. But for me, the interesting result was the men's doubles, where uh, Lucas Kubo of Poland and Melo of Brazil defeated Oliver Maric of Austria and Marte Pavic of Croatia 13-11 in the fifth set. Yep. Had to be played... Under lights, yeah, they had to they under cl- the roof. Close the roof and turn the lights on. It was the first time they've had to do that, and I think it was just short of five hours. Might have been just over five hours, possibly. Now the reason it was interesting: the fourth seeds beating the sixteenth seeds. About uh, a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, uh, Ollie Marich was in town playing in the Australian Open, and ran into my wife's uncle down St Kilda. They got talking and. Um, it was established that Ollie was, in fact, staying at a backpacker's hostel. 
and uh, Alex, uh, Natalie's uncle, suggested that that, well, don't do that. Um, <laughs> you should stay with our family. Now, it's quite common for tennis players, doubles players, and players making their way on the world tour where expenses, uh, staying in hotels, going from city to city can be debilitating. It's not uncommon for them to build relationships with people in various towns and on an annual basis sort of um, return to stay at their place. So for, yeah. the ne- for the next two or three years, Ollie Marich stayed with my wife's family, either her parents or with Alex, in, in and around St Kilda. So we got to know Ollie and he's just a lovely bloke. And Beautiful. At that stage, his doubles partner was Lucas Kubot. The, the pole. Yep. And they were great mates, and Lucas was a lovely chap as well, and they were sort of inseparable. But they ended up going their separate ways because Lucas Kubot was pursuing a singles career. All right, yeah. And that takes you to different events during the year than doubles. So it's most interesting that a decade later, they would meet on opposite sides of the net. Yeah. In the biggest final of their lives. Ollie had never won a Grand Slam doubles title coming into this event. Uh, he'd been in some finals, I think, but never won. Yep. And it would go to 13-11, and these former doubles partners, they established themselves in doubles with each, together, played together for five years, but it would be Kubot and Mello just getting over the top of Marich and Pavic, 13-11 in the fifth, uh, over a decade after they sort of started out, and I got to know them and the family got to yeah. know them. Here in Australia, yeah, and four hundred thousand pound richer now. So uh, no, it, it's interesting now. I mean, a lot of these guys can now can make decent money out of doubles. Oh yeah, I think the mixed doubles uh, they only picked up a hundred thousand pound each for winning. Yeah, and that, that's um, only. I think that's only an event at the Grand Slam, so you can't. Yeah, true. Um, so in terms of that, but there's look, doubles masters. So yeah, they get yeah, no, they can definitely get around. Yeah. That's for sure. So uh, I know uh, I watched a bit of the the uh, Murray and uh, Hingis and Condonen. I think he's called. He absolutely smashes it. That f- the finish lad. Yeah, well, I absolutely I, crushes it. I saw Hingis and Murray playing against a British couple um, who weren't in any other part of the draw, Sapke and somebody else. And Double specialists. It's just a chance to get into the draw and make some money. And and the yeah. ma- the male partner Sapke, I mean, he serves at you know the requisite whatever it is, hundred k's or hundred miles an yeah. hour or whatever it is. And he didn't ease off serving the Hingis. And she was she's such a wonderful player. Yeah, she was returning it and playing toe to toe with the male of. The mixed doubles. There, there was no. There's no concession in mixed. No, doubles. definitely not. No, and uh, the. I think the women know that they are going to get keyed on, as so they speak. And they, yeah. the men, absolutely like, especially return of serves when the females at the net, they absolutely get it slammed straight back at them at a hundred mile an hour. My favourite aspect of doubles, both mixed women's and men's, is the very um guarded discussions they have between points. They yes. It's like a picture talking to a a, a catcher in baseball. They yep. cover they cover their mouths and yeah, turn their backs so the opposition don't yep. know what is no, coming up next. No, it's very true. Very true. And all the different formations of serving with players at the net, they've got different names, don't they? Yeah. When you stand on the same side. Oh, yeah. They've got the eye formation and also on the crouch and all sorts. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's, it, it was good. So some results of lesser-known events. Let's move on to hockey. Hockey, World League semi-finals. Actually, Australia playing Japan right now. I just logged in. They are 4-0 up, and they are unbeaten so far. This is in Johannesburg. Basically, they got to get in the top five to qualify for the World Cup. Uh, they beat New Zealand 2-1, France 3-2, and Spain 2-0. And the Kookaburras, like I said, 4-0 up. They are progressing through. They should finish top of their group and get an easy quarterfinal. And that should see them into next year's World Cup. A little bit of water polo? Water polo. The World Championships have just kicked off. And the Aussie Stingers, they, the girls, they walloped Kazakhstan 16-4 uh, in the very first game. They will play Russia tomorrow. Um, the men's team should be playing fairly shortly. They're playing against the host, Hungary. That will be an absolute belter. That's two of the world's best going at it. Um, <laughs> just as a an aside, the U.S. women's beat South Africa 24-2. Oh dear. It's a bit of a drowning. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's no good. Uh, hopefully nobody drowned in diving. Diving. Hey, Australia have got a new world champion. Madison Ooh. Keenan. Keeney is the new one-metre springboard world champion. She beat a Russian girl by 10 points, which is quite a lot in diving. Uh, An Italian girl came third. Esther Quinn, Keen, Australian, came seventh. Uh, Melissa Wu and Tanika Kovchenko, the Aussies, came fifth in the 10-metre synchronised platform diving uh, behind uh, China's Renancy. They won by a huge amount, about 50, 48 points or something. Uh, there's five days of competition left. Uh, if, if you don't know, it is the World Aquatics Championship. So they're doing water polo, uh, diving, synchronized swimming. Obviously, swimming kicks off on the weekend, I think, perhaps Monday. Uh, they've got open water swimming. They've just had the short course open water yesterday. I think uh, one of the Aussie girls came uh ninth or tenth in the in the short one so um yeah that's the the aquatics happening at this point in time gee that's it, it's a pity it doesn't get more coverage that's it's got huge, no coverage that's, absolutely no coverage it's, it's uh, a huge ridiculous. result for the australians yes yeah that's a i mean the gold medal world champion that's uh i mean that's few and far between obviously uh uh, Matt Mitchum, probably the only one I can think of that uh in diving the or oh, Melissa Wu did she actually win one was she a world champion or a gold medalist? I don't know Probably she... in Commonwealth Games, no yeah. doubt, but uh, whether on the world stage, not 100% sure. I think Ludi Turki got a medal, Olympic yeah, medal. Um, oh, they had the, the synchronized girls, uh, Chantel Newman, I think, and her partner, possibly. Was that Newman, Len Ludi Turki? Probably was, I reckon. Uh-huh. And I think Newman's a married name as well, so she was probably Chantel something else before that. But there you go, it's, uh, yeah, just. Thinking back. And Ludi Torkey married a former Carlton footballer. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think who it is. Um, Don't know. Not sure. We can look it up. Yeah, former Carlton player. Oh, his former. Name's, name's on the tip of my tongue. I think he went to Footscray to be part of their VFL setup. There you go. Oh, Ludi Wiggins. Ludi Wiggins. SMS on my private phone. Oh, geez, somebody's listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So. Um, I just got to. Somebody's just texted in about the lacrosse. Yes, it is the World Women's Lacrosse Championships right now in uh, England, and the uh, actual um, going on. And uh, the Australian beat Wales yesterday, twelve four. That's uh, disappointing for everyone. 
but the Aussies are going quite well, although uh, they did lose to the US on the opening day, I think. But uh, the US are going strong. They just beat England yesterday, 18-1 to 1 in the lacrosse. Uh, there's a few interesting results. I think I saw Latvia got absolutely smashed. Uh, not that Latvia is a uh, hotbed of lacrosse. And we get another SMS through, which is great, and it's from the Maccabea Games, which are held in Israel, and yes. Australia winning or getting silver, getting defeated by the Dutch in the hockey final. Okay. Next week I'll get some Maccabea results for you I across think, the um, board. I think the US soccer team uh, beat Germany, which is a massive uh, surprise in terms of that result. I did see they were very ecstatic about that. It was a overtime game as well. And I know Australia in cricket had a surprise win over South Africa in game one and were thrashed by the English in the second game. Uh, okay. There you go. Where's that been held? The cricket would be in Ash Dodd. Ash Dodd. Yeah. I, I went to two Maccabee yep. games. Got one gold and one silver. Fantastic. Brilliant. We are going to take a break. And when we return, the all-important snail racing results. I know we're waiting for all clear. Yeah. Still. <laughs> oh, he loves a little bit of madness, does our lad, yeah, do. Beefy Blake. We've given volleyball its rightful place, rightful spotlight, with the Aussies having qualified, the Volleyroos having qualified for the World Champs, talked about tennis, darts, but all of that pales into significance into the breakneck speed world breakneck. snail racing. Do you know how they start the uh, snail racing world championship races? Ready, steady, slow. <laughs> yes. As long as it's not cook, in which case it would be less car go. Less car go, indeed. Um, Where are they held? Congham, near Kings Lynn in Norfolk. That is the centre of the snail racing world championships. Now, held yeah. on Saturday. Not a straight line race, is it? Not a straight line race. They do it circular. Yeah. Obviously, first one out to the edge. Yes, I've they, seen that. I've seen that with toad racing. With toad and racing, and uh, um, I've seen it with turtle races. I've yeah. seen it with all sorts lizards. Yes. Um, yes, they travel a massive distance of thirteen inches, which to Australians is forty-one centimeters, and the winning snail for the two thousand and seventeen the world champion snail is Larry. Hmm. Herbie 2, we don't know what happened to Herbie 1, but Herbie 2, who won it last year, didn't make the final. So just not performing. Um, Any international snails? uh, Yep, I think they were imported from France. They uh, got saved from the the pot. Um, But the winning time, 2 minutes 47 to do 41 centimetres. Has that been calculated into a speed? Ah, uh, we could do that. That's uh, it's very slow. Yeah, yes, pretty or slow. Or quick for snails. <laughs> it could be quick for snails. I don't know if it's downhill. I know they have to keep the tablecloth pretty moist. Otherwise, apparently, it dried out one year and it was they didn't move carnage. at all. It was carnage. And uh, is it I, is it open to snails and slugs or just snails? I'm pretty sure it is snails. And uh, th- I've seen the uh, the highlights and uh, the, they paint the shells. They give it a kind of racing stripes and all sorts. So, yeah. uh, oh, it's breakneck. And the winners actually. Uh, the uh, the winning trainer, they get a tankard full of lettuce leaves where they, you know, get to display their winning snail. There you go. Larry, the new world snail racing champion. 
Tin, no. tin bath racing tin is, bath, uh, is, okay. a, is a different beast altogether. It was the World Tin Bath Championships, Tin Bath Racing. They do it in the Isle of Man. It's at uh, Castletown Harbour. Now, they, did, they started this in 1971. This year attracted 120 competitors. There are rules, finally. There's rules. Baths have to be wholly metal construction, not more than five foot long, which is 154 centimetres, no taller than 16 inches, 41 centimetres Again, 40? Nah, it's not 16 inches. Anyway, uh, single holds. You can't have a dual-hold bath. That'll count the New Zealanders out. Yes. You're not allowed any alteration to the shape of the hull. Now, this is the one that got me. Pyrotechnics must not be used. (laughs) In in the bath. (laughs) In the bath. Fair enough, too. That means that somebody, along the way, they've had to bring a rule in because somebody was using pyrotechnics. That's uh, pretty extreme. Now, uh, David Watt... And won the men's. Erica Cowan uh, won the women's. They're both from locally, Isle of Man. Now, the winner is either the first to cross the line, which is 400 metres. So you're paddling in this little bath. This is old school bath. You know the ones they used to put in front of the fire in the, in the olden days? Uh, so you could have a wash that once a month. Um, so first to cross the line or whoever gets the furthest before sinking. <laughs> yeah. So uh, generally, uh, by the sound of that, there is a lot of sinking. That's um, yeah, not yes, unsurprising. Now you've been asked to review your conversion rates. I'm just reading off the uh, official press report, so they're not my report. My reports because uh, 13 inches, I would suggest, is about 35 centimeters. Isn't it two and a half centimeters an inch? 2.54. Yes. Yeah, it's not 25.4 millimeters. Fair point. Um, so that. For 16 inches is probably closer to 41 after all. So, yes, I I was reviewing, but I was reading off official press releases for those two world championships that just happened on the weekend. Well, speaking of world champions, we've got one pretty close to one as our special guest next hour, Craig Harper and Josh Lenartovitz, Australia's, quite simply, greatest ever bodybuilder. Whoa. He's an amazing young man. Special guest. Next hour with Craig Harper, but I want to thank you, Beefy. No problem at all. When you invest in the stock market, you can either pay exorbitant fees to brokers, which will lessen your returns, or you could go it alone and risk getting it wrong. SelfWealth is a dynamic network of like-minded investors with a proven track record, allowing people to trade more than just shares. You also trade that all-important knowledge. SelfWealth.com.au, Australia's only fixed-fee trading solution. Just $9.50 per trade, regardless of trade size. Download the SelfWealth trading app from Google Play or the App Store today.